Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 11, your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. Thanks again for joining us. We're continuing the series of episodes on the mental aspects of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Last time we talked about overcoming plateaus. This time we're going to talk about something a little bit more general. We're going to talk about mindsets. Now, this can mean a lot. Um, depends on what you want to do with your Jiu-Jitsu career. There is the mindset of being a good training partner. There is the mindset of being a competitor, a, a coach or instructor, a hobbyist, a gym owner. And a lot of us wear many of these hats. Um, they're like with anything in life, mindsets dictate a lot of your success because they really help you make better decisions on the ground and motivate you to get things done. There are a handful of mental models, some of which we've already talked about, that apply directly to mindsets. And we're going to be going into these a little bit. Um, just jumping right into it, I think the first thing that I can bring up, we already talked about this in prior episodes, so we don't really need to go into it in too much more detail, but we talked about the the idea of self-competition, meaning that ultimately at the end of the day, you're competing with yourself, or at least you should be, rather than worrying too much about what other people are doing. This is a, a part of a healthy mindset regardless of what you're doing, and it's going to apply to everything that we talk about here today. But going into some kind of more specific examples, of what we want to cover today. Let's talk first about training partners, Matt. So on the mat, what makes a good training partner from your perspective? Like what, what do you look for when you want to find someone to roll with? Um, well, definitely I want training partners that are going to, to uh, not only am, are they going to benefit me by being hopefully skilled and competent and supportive, but uh, I want to benefit them, right? It's you can't just have good training partners and you not your not yourself be a good training partner. It, it should be a symbiotic relationship. Uh, you're complementing each other, you're pushing each other, you're testing each other, beating the crap out of each other, but also uh, picking each other up. So, a good training partner for me, not only am I going to be sharing ideas with them, I want them to share ideas with me. I want them to give me a different look. Uh, maybe, you know, they're watching instructionals or video that I'm not watching and then they contribute to the team by bringing those concepts to the team and vice versa. I should be doing the exact same for them. Uh, we all have different knowledge and experience, um, in our jujitsu journey. So sharing and, uh, passing that information to each other is, is part of being a good training partner and part of the growth that, uh, that naturally happens between good training partners, um, you know, I want to look for people that I, I can rely on that aren't going to hurt me, but are going to give me realistic training. They're going to uh, give me give me hard rounds, but I never have to feel like uh, it's going to be dangerous. Right. Uh, your training partner should be challenging, but still at the same time, you shouldn't feel like you're going to get injured with these people. 
you, there should be a level of trust and respect between you and your training partners um, where, you know, you're, you're keeping each other healthy. The goal is not to injure each other, obviously. The goal is not to win, even. The goal is to help each other grow and to test each other, but to keep basically to mostly keep it safe. I really like what you said at the beginning there where you talked about how a good training partner is someone who's focused on mutual gain. I think it's too easy when you pick a training partner to think about, you know, what am I going to get out of this? How can I win this round? And that's not a good mindset for training. That defeats the principle of self-competition, which we talked about earlier. It shouldn't be about beating the other guy, but going above and beyond that. If you want to have a good mindset as a training partner, it should be for mutual gain, right? You should be getting something out of the training session and so should the other guy. And you know, this also ties back to the golden rule, which we talked about earlier. You know, you should treat your training partners the way that you want to be treated. You should not be trying to injure them. You should not be getting so excited about submitting them that you're going to crank that submission harder than you know is safe. You should be looking to help them improve their game just as much as you're looking to improve your game. And if that means telling them what you're doing and helping them beat you, that's only going to make you better because it forces you to raise your game as well. I think as you mentioned, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? And and one of the reasons why I think people develop these lifelong friendships out of jujitsu is because it is a symbiotic relationship, right? You get something out of it. The other person gets something out of it. It's, it's not like you're taking something away from them. In, in a good training session, both people come out of it feeling like they got something out of it. So, mm-hmm. and, and that is... It doesn't matter what your belt rank is. It doesn't matter what your experience level is. You can get that out of anybody, right? I mean... Mm-hmm. I train with white belts all the time and hopefully they get something out of rolling with me. I definitely know that I get something out of them. And as the more experienced of the two, if I if they don't know how to give me what I need in a training session, it's my job to help them get there. And nor- and normally the way that you do that, like we said earlier, is you kind of you you educate them so that they can be a quality training a par- partner who can challenge you. Yeah, I really like what you said about how uh, a good training partner is going to you know, not not only are they going to help you get better, they're going to help you uh, beat them, right? And and that should be reciprocated as well. Where if if you're making a mistake and I'm constantly capitalizing on it, uh, it would be pretty crappy for me to just keep that a secret to myself and <laughs> yeah. just keep keep beating you with the same move, right? Yeah. Like a good training partner will say, "Hey, you know what? I'm getting this because you keep doing this, and that's allowing me to sort of capitalize on this." And then that can be quickly corrected, so we can kind of move on and and both learn from that. And then I have to. I have to now think even more on how I'm going to defeat you now that I've given you the answer, basically. Um, a great example of what you said about, you know, you should be able to learn from anyone. I, I have a few white belts at my gym, actually, and they're, you know, they're very close to getting their blue belts. They're they're just over a year into training, both of them. And uh, on class on Friday, we were, we were doing some of the float passing stuff that Gordon Ryan just put on his, on his instructional. And... Uh, you know, that after I demonstrated the technique, they came up to me and one of them was like, hey, you know, I've been watching that Gordon Ryan instructional. Here's a few things that uh, that I sort of got out of it. And uh, I, I was like blown away that one of my junior students had done their research and actually had something to offer. So I said, OK, after we practice this technique that we're just doing you're going to show that in front Mm -hmm. of the class because that is uh, really valuable information. And because you took the time to review that footage when I hadn't done that yet, it was a, I, 
he was able to uh, show me something that I hadn't seen before and show me a concept that I hadn't seen before and the whole room benefited from it. So, you know, and that takes, that takes, um, I, I got to also not, not have ego enough to say, you know what, it's my class. I'm going to do what I want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. To, to, to say, Hey, you know what? Like that's really valuable. Let's all listen to what this guy had to say because he went ahead and, and did that. Um, you know, he was a good training partner by sharing that with me rather than keeping that information to himself. I, I always say never underestimate a white belt who watches a lot of YouTube. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, there, and there's something to this, right? The the thing about being new to jujitsu or new to anything is you don't have that ego that tells you that you already know everything you need to know. So usually when you're dealing with white belts or new people, they're a lot more studious than more of the senior guys who often kind of just Post through training, right? Yeah. Uh, the thing about white belts is you know that they're listening when you talk. And Absolutely. that's why it's important to actually use them as a resource because they're out there paying attention to new trends or new videos that you may have never seen. And they can bring these things to your attention. And, you know, as far as teaching goes, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a white belt teaching. You know, there, I think there is this weird dogma that, you know, if you want to be a good jujitsu instructor, you've got to be a multi-time world champion and, a you know, a second degree black belt. But honestly, you know, if anyone who's spent time teaching knows that all you need to be to teach someone something is just a little bit more knowledge than they have and the the willingness and the skills to teach it to that person. That's all you need. You just need to be like a day or two ahead of them in terms of knowledge. And then you've got something to offer. Everyone has something to offer when it comes to this. So it's really, really important to understand that Training partners of any level have something to offer you and refusing to acknowledge that is really just hindering yourself. Yeah, you're, it would be equivalent to just shutting out valuable information. It would have been so easy for me to just say, hey, you know what, like we're, we're doing this right now. Uh, you know, I, I, we're going to stick with the game plan or whatever. But, you know, it, when you see good information, it, Dis, it, it's regardless of who it comes from, you know, use what works. And because he was his concepts that he was portraying to me were so uh, sound, I couldn't help but appreciate it and use it. So kudos I, to him. I think trust is also a big portion of having a good training partner because you do, you know, if you if you want to really have a good rolling session with someone, you have to know that you're not going to get hurt, right? You have to know that they're going to take care of you. But on the other hand there, you also have to know that they're going to give you realistic resistance. And and there's a fine line to walk there, right? As a, as a smaller guy, but not a guy who's so small that he's the smallest guy all the time. I kind of see this from both perspectives. You know, when when you're rolling with a much bigger guy, they often treat you with kid gloves because they're you're kind of taught from day one, I guess, when you're a big guy that, oh, you can't use your strength. And, and what you wind up having is these big, gigantic guys who basically are afraid to touch you. And, but then similarly, when you're on the other side of the fence, if you're the bigger of the two, then sometimes you feel that too. And you feel that, you know, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to just crush this person. I want to make sure that they have a good time. But, but honestly, you're you're denying both them and yourself the 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 ability to really get the most out of that situation if you completely step away from realistic sparring. And there's a fine line here too, right? Like, I mean, you don't want to just completely destroy someone. But on the other hand, you know, as a smaller guy, I want realistic resistance when, when I'm sparring with bigger guys. I don't want to delude myself into thinking I can, you know, slay giants when it, it turns out that all of the guys I'm sparring with are just going easy on me. I want them to use their weight because the reason we train these martial arts is to learn how to be 
beat people, right? I, I don't want to have guys pretending that they're putting their weight on me when they're not. Uh, so this has really adjusted the way that I train with people where, you know, when I'm training with a smaller partner or, or even a newer person, my goal is to kind of always go roughly around 70 or 80%. I never go above that because I find that if you go above that, you kind of lose control of what your own body is doing. You get tired fast. You make mistakes. Injuries happen more frequently. So my goal is always 70 or 80%. Um, and I'll do that with anybody, right? I'll do that. You, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, adult, kid, doesn't matter your body size. You know, I will use kind of the same application uh, of technique. And I, I found that that's also what I want out of my training partners as well, right? I don't want them to treat me any differently than they would people their own size. Yeah. The, tr the trust and respect aspect of, of a good training partner is huge. And, um, you know, when, especially we don't, we don't really talk about like when it's time to drill a technique, let's say, uh, your instructor is giving you instructions and it's time to, to follow with the lesson. You want someone who's going to take it serious. You don't want someone who's going to goof off. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want someone that's going to leave you, lead you down bad roads, uh, and, and is disruptive during class and, and, uh, you know, being a distraction when mm -hmm. when there's work to be done you want someone that's going to push you in the right direction going to turn it up when when they need to and at the same time they're going to be supportive pick you up uh, and keep you safe at all times. Yeah, it's like there there's that balance between you you have to trust this person so much that you trust that they will take care of you even when they're fighting you. And that's a weird thing when you think about it, but it's so important in jujitsu, right? They're, uh, the, the, and I think that's part of the reason why you do see these relationships build where you see longtime friendships emerge out of jujitsu, right? It's what better way to establish a trusting relationship than put yourself in that kind of environment. Um, Matt, kind of taking this to the next step, you know, this is something that really touches your life more than mine, but what changes when you're talking about competition? If, you know, when you want to go and, and compete, what makes the mindset of a successful competitor? Hmm. I mean, being a competitor is a, uh, it's a stressful thing, right? Like back when I first started competing, I, first of all, when I got into jujitsu, I didn't even think I was ever going to compete. I just, I literally wanted to do it like once a week. And then I started showing up to the gym more and really enjoying it. And then you got sucked into the black hole. <laughs> <laughs> then I started, I competed once and I was like, oh, this is actually pretty awesome. You know, it was, it was so stressful that, uh, I felt like I wanted to keep doing it because of just, it was, it was such a test. Right. And, um, and I did pretty good my first competition. So I guess it was like the perfect storm that became an addiction for me. Um, you know, it, it takes a, it takes a lot of guts to compete. And for me now, it's like, I don't want to say it's second nature because I still get nervous. You know, I still get the shakes and, and uh, it's, it's still nerve wracking for me. That's kind of the beauty of it. When you go out there, you're not really fighting the person across the mat. You're fighting yourself and um, you're, re you're really fighting your own brain because it's, it's all about decision making and, and really quick decision making and problem solving. So um, if you're thinking about how you have to fight your opponent and take your opponent out and uh and you let emotion get in the way of it 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 clouds the it clouds your goals right so um you have to do things perfect you have to you have to have a perfect day uh you have to hope that you get a good draw if your bracket's big you know um sometimes you'll get the the toughest match in the first round and that's difficult sometimes you when you go out there you just you know 
I hear beginners say, I just want this to be over. Like I want to, mm-hmm. I want to get my first fight out of the way and, and I'm looking for a way out basically because I'm sick of the stress leading up to it. Uh, it's, it's kind of like Christmas, you know, like the, the buildup that leads to the day is what's is it, Christmas is awesome. But for the, for a lot of people, the, the buildup for the fight is actually the difficult part, waiting for it to happen, the anxiety that happens. And then you're there. And then once you get out there, it's like, you're looking for a way for this to end so you can go home and the stress can be over. Um, if you're a competitor, you have to, you have to want to fight. You have to like want to have a match, get your lungs burnt out. You know that you're going to be exhausted. And then the next match, you have to want to do that next match. Right. Uh, I've, I've been in competitions where I'm having a tough fight and I'm just like, man, I just, I just want this to be over. Like I want to, I want to go home. I want this to go home. And that's really not good if you if if you're trying to win a competition. Mm-hmm. You have to have that mindset where I want another fight. I want to do this again. I know it's stressful. I'm I'm gonna go out there, burn my lungs out, win, and then come back, take a take a break, and then I want to go back out there. And it's it's a difficult thing to kind of trick your mind to do this because as humans we tend to seek comfort and seek uh you know the the path of least resistance when going up into a fight with someone in front of a bunch of people, a bunch of people. And, and, you know, you're putting your name and your gym on the line. It's like, it kind of goes against what a lot of people's, uh, what a lot of people's instincts are. So, you know, for all you people that are thinking about competing, it is scary. It's, I'm not going to lie. It's stressful. Um, but I'll say this after I've competed for how many years, uh, I've gained things as a person from those tests that I could never describe um, if, if I had never done it. Right. So so it's really important to to understand that it is a stressful thing, just like, you know, going into a job interview, very stressful situation. You don't really know what to expect, but you're kind of just doing your best. And uh, yeah, ideally, everything would be um everything would be perfect. You know, your weight would be, of course, you have to be on weight and you've trained leading up into the match, but sometimes things aren't perfect and you have to prepare yourself to be able to adapt. So, you know, on fight day, if you're, you've sustained an injury in the last week, I'm actually going through that right now. I'm about to go compete in Oregon next week and my shoulder's not feeling very good right now. But, uh, but my knee, which was bad before, is feeling good. So I'm going to go in there and do it anyway. And, um, you know, you have to, you, you have to be, to be able to do the most what you can with, with, you know, not ideal scenarios sometimes. Sometimes you got to fight injured. Sometimes you got to fight sick. You know, sometimes, uh, I don't know, your gi didn't make, make the gi check. And now all of a sudden your mind is totally thrown off right before the fight and you got to go get a new gi or, or, you know, they told you that your belt isn't in good condition. And yes, these are things that IBJJF actually does, right? All these little distractions, um, they can, they can make a huge difference right before you fight. And, uh, something that helps me in competition is actually, uh, something that John Danaher talks about a lot and that and that's basically that uh when you go out there and and compete it's really no different from from training if you think about it Uh, i spend so much of my life now training i'm training usually twice sometimes three times a day and uh there it really it's it's just the same thing it's jujitsu the only difference is there's a bigger stage there's people watching there's a lot more noise uh, there's medals, 
right? But it's the same sport. It's jujitsu. And you'll find that when you step out there in competition that uh, it feels different than when you're in the gym. When you're in the gym, things are comfortable. You can control your breathing. You know what you want to do. You, your body listens to your to your, uh, to your directions. But when you're out there, sometimes you lock up. Sometimes you start breathing intensely and you can't slow your heart down and you get exhausted for no reason. And it's like you're, uh, you're stuck in the mud, right? And, and, um, and the important thing to think about is that it's really no different. It's just all in your head. It's, it's, you know, it's too many mind. It's too, too distracting. So, shutting off all the distractions and just focusing on the task at hand and uh and getting to the next match is is really what's important and not focusing so much on oh what what are my what are my you know my friends and family and teammates going to think of me if i let people down or you know am i this good i am i good enough to hang with these guys am i good enough to you know is this something that's actually where i put so much time and effort into this is it am i good enough to do this Never think like that. Always just think there's a task at hand. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to do this. Even if I wasn't competing today, I'd be training today. You know, that's what I always think to myself. Every time that I have a competition, I always think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I would be rolling right now, even if I wasn't competing. And, uh, and, and one last thing is, you know, like sometimes we, when we're about to fight, like I, I think, uh, God, this is gonna, this is so stressful. Like, I gotta, I gotta get my head right around this. This is a, I got, I gotta go do this. Otherwise, I'm, 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 I'm gonna fail. Like, it's a fail, right? And, and you know the term, if you don't, you, you either win or you learn, right? And some people don't believe in that. I, I do believe in that because I always think that my losses, I learn more from my losses than my wins. But, um, but, but being, being out there and, and just, putting it all on the line and realizing that this is something that you're going to do anyways is it kind of helps you. It kind of helps you through it and it helps you calm yourself down. I I, I always think like if I was to go in there and, and, and at the last second, you know, my opponent couldn't fight and I had all this build up and I I was ready to go. And then my opponent had to back out. uh, That would be worse than losing because you never even get to, you never get to get off, right? You, you, so I would rather lose than have my opponent not even be able to, tra- or you know, or or I, I can't. Tra- uh, for some reason, I can't fight. It'd be the worst thing in the world. You want to go out there and at least know that you tried and failed, so that you have something to work off of, rather than like, well, if I didn't, tr- if I didn't get to fight, all that stress is gone. But but it, it's way worse. That was really insightful. Thank you so much for bringing all of that to light. And a lot of this actually touches on things we talked about earlier. You know, you mentioned that so much of, of what you need to do to compete is is related to growth from discomfort, something we've talked about over and over again. And it, it sounds like one of the big ways that you deal with these difficult situations is you become aware, hey, th- this is a situation that is stressful, it is challenging, but you realize that and you think about it, 
in order to achieve the growth that I want to achieve, I have to go into this. You have to consciously make an effort to put yourself there. And that helps give you the motivation to get into these challenging situations. You also talked about how, you know, focusing a lot on the distractions around you, it, it can be counterproductive. And the most important thing is to focus on the process, right? Focus on the training, focus on the task at hand. And this ties into what we've talked about in the past about prioritizing effort over results, right? Making sure that you've got the habits and the routine in place. Focus on the things, you know, on, on building those solid habits and keep the machine running. Uh, and then eventually the results hopefully will come. Yeah. I, I, I know guys that they go into a competition and they, ex they expect so much out of themselves that if they don't get the result that they wanted or expected, they storm off or, mm -hmm. you know, they don't show up to the podium or, or they blame, start blaming other things. They blame other factors. And, and the fact of the matter, like I've been, I've been stomped in competition before embarrassingly, you know, I, I, fortunately I've never been put to sleep, but you know, I've had my ankle almost broken. I've, I've been beaten like 40 to nothing, like really, really bad things. And, uh, I'm never, I never start blaming other things. I never start uh, getting so upset that it, it affects it affects me in such a negative way because it should be for fun, guys. Like if, if, if winning medals is all you care about, that is important to become the best in the world. But just keep in mind that like there's more to jujitsu than than just winning those medals. Right. And, and, and having fun for me is always more important than winning medals. Like, I, I don't know. I, I used to say to myself, I'd always rather lose a really exciting match than win an extremely boring match. There's something, there's something about a really boring match that just eats at my soul. And, and I can't stand it. And I've been in a few of those matches, but if you have a barn burner with someone and you know, you just narrowly lose you're going to learn a lot more from that match and you're going to you're going to respect your opponent a lot more for that match and people are going to respect you as a fighter a lot more for a match like that so you know it it, it all put it, things get put into perspective at, at right now I'm about to compete next weekend not going to lie if I have boring matches I really don't give a crap because I want to win it's my first competition in months and my first competition at black belt like I do want to win but at the same time like man I would love it for, I would love for it to be exciting. I always want to make it an exciting match more than anything. But for all you guys out there that, that, uh, you know, you make excuses if, if you don't do well. And you know what? Like maybe, maybe there are times when I, I have done that, but I've reflected on those, on those, those times and I've realized it's all on me out there. You know, you have teammates, you have coaches that help you along the way. But when you go out there, it's only you. So if you if you don't take that ownership for yourself and and say, hey, you know what? Like, where can I start making improvements? Why am I blaming other people? Why am I, you know, why am I getting so pissed off that I'm not going to show up to the podium? I'm not going to shake my opponent's hand. I'm mad now that I lost. Uh, th this is not how you grow. This is how you you really get inside your own head and affect yourself as a competitor and as a as a jujitsu fighter. Yeah, I think this ties back to extreme ownership, right? I, I see this all the time on social media where, you know, someone loses and they, you know, they post this 
big, big story about all of the reasons why they got screwed out of a victory. Or, you know, you see people who freak out and they and they just storm off the mat and they won't even wait for the hand raise, right? Like, that kind of stuff is, you know, in, in addition to being distasteful, like you said, it, it really inhibits your own growth, right? I mean, if, if you don't own what happened, how can you fix it, right? You Even if something did happen that was out of, out of your control, if you don't take ownership of it, of it, how can you fix it? How can you prevent it from happening next time? Mm-hmm. And again, you know, tying back to what you said, you know, to to really be doing jujitsu over the long game, it, it should be fun, shouldn't it? Right? It should be something that ultimately you enjoy. If what you're doing is something that you hate and, you know, you just can't deal with it. You hate to lose. Yeah, yeah. That that probably means that your mindset is not really where it needs to be. You're probably putting pressure on yourself in the wrong ways. You know, you're better off focusing on how can I be better today than I was yesterday? How can I find the tweaks in performance in my game that will make me better versus tying your entire self-worth to a medal or to a belt, right? Like, I, I think that, you know really fo- overly focusing on the results and, and looking at this kind of stuff and, and kind of like making that a, you know, part of your, how you evaluate your self-worth. That's really a, p- a path down in the wrong direction, right? You, you want to always be practicing Kaizen. You want to be making sure that you're always looking for ways to improve your game, regardless of whether you win or lose. They're both equal learning opportunities. Although actually I, I, I agree with you in a lot of cases, the loss can be more impactful than the win. And you should capitalize on that. Yeah, like as a competitor, I really, I value my losses and I, I remember a lot more of my losses than my wins. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we look at the best champions in the world at any sport. We don't look at all the all the heartbreak that they went through, all the times they failed, all the times that uh, they tried and, and came up short all the best have done it, you know, and, and that's what builds character. That's what builds growth. Uh, and, and to just see the end result of the guys that are, are the best in the world and not think about the, the struggles that they went to, went through is really naive. And that's, and that's something that you got to jujitsu is all about struggle and embracing the struggle, yeah. seeking the struggle, running towards it. And, 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 uh, you know, you take the good with the bad. Some days you win, some days you don't win. So, and then that's really what makes those times that you do win. It makes it so much more sweet, right? If you won every time, it, it wouldn't be worth anything. It would just be, you know, it's nothing. So definitely always remember that, uh, someone who wins all the time has lost a bunch of times. And, uh, the, the key to, to finding yourself in the, on the podium is to just keep it consistent and to keep jumping in there, you know, keep, keep trying to compete. Even if you, if you keep losing, try to, try to learn from your mistakes and going there anyways. Another thing for a competitor is you don't want to, you know, you, you want to try and keep calm is a, is a big thing. And this is getting back to the actual like fight mindset. Uh, if you can keep yourself calm, there's a good chance you're going to be able to make better decisions than if you're going in there and you're all fired up because if you go in there all fired up, you want to tear someone's head off, you know, that could work. But if you make a mistake and now all of a sudden you end up, you know, down four points and the top and then the clock is ticking, this can play huge mental issue with your head mid match. And you're going to have to adapt from such an extreme. Whereas if you're calm you know, you can make decisions, you can go moment by moment and not get clouded with emotion. So I like I've used the example on this show before Marcelo Garcia keeps a straight face throughout all of his matches. I try and always be like Marcelo. And I've had guys come to me and be like, hey, Matt, like when you fight, like 
your face is always calm, you know, and, and that's something that I try and do. I'm like, oh, that's that's fucking cool. Like someone thinks that uh, I've inspired them or whatever. But, um, you know, I think most the, the most cerebral fighters that you'll see that keep winning championships are usually always calm and you can't tell on their face if they're stressed or not. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, there are physical things that you can do to help kind of kickstart that process. Right. We talked about this in earlier episodes about how sometimes like the the things that you do with your body can actually create the emotions that you want. Right. Like, uh, you know, good example being that smiling can actually make you happier. Um, you know, we talked about this prior um, con- controlling your breathing and, and keeping loose. These are always good things. Right. It's very uncommon uh, when you're in an uncomfortable situation to tense up and if you can catch that and stay calm it can really help in all scenarios right i I normally find in in jujitsu if i catch myself if i realize that i'm tensing up like when i'm sparring with someone usually that's an indication that things either have started to go in a direction i don't want them to go or they are about to go in a direction i don't want them to go so uh, it sounds like that's equally applicable when you're talking about competition as well Um, this was a really good and a really helpful chat and what's interesting is how much it kind of ties together the mental models that we've talked about over the last 10 episodes as well matt anything else you want to add talking about the competitive side of jujitsu uh, it might come to me. <laughs> we'll see as the chat goes on. Got it, got it, got it. Cool. Well, some other things that we can talk about then, and this is something that I think both you and I are, are going to have thoughts on, the mindset of a coach or an instructor. Now, this doesn't even need to be a formally assigned role in your gym, right? Anyone can be a coach. Uh, you know, you don't even have to be necessarily as senior as the person is you're coaching. You know, sometimes people more junior than you can offer excellent coaching advice. Matt, what do you think makes a good coach or instructor? I think um, a good coach or instructor, first and foremost, is a person who is willing to sacrifice for you. Um, and that can mean so many different things. But let me just explain. Like, for example, I want to be a competitor. I, I want to be able to fight at a high level. But I own a school. So it's difficult to have a competitor mindset and get the the training that a competitor needs while you're being an instructor. It's two very different roles. So for example, when if there's an odd number of people, I'm the one who sits out. When people are drilling techniques and I should be getting reps and, and practicing, I'm the one who has to walk around and, and make sure everyone's doing it right or else I'm not being a good instructor. A good instructor not only sacrifices their own investment sometimes for their student, but a good in, uh, a, a good instructor invests a lot of time into their students and makes sure that they can do things competently. Make sure that, as, like I try to aim to have my students be good instructors. I'd like for my students to be able to to convey the the concepts that I teach them to other people. That would be ideal. Um, a good a good instructor like my professor Rob, for example. Uh, he he would pay for me to go to a tournament. You know, he would fly me to New Jersey to compete. Uh, he would he would pay for a tournament entry. He would pay for a, a hotel for me to stay at. You know, he he would do anything for me. He would sacrifice for me to see me succeed and gave me all of all of his knowledge and continues to give me all of his 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 current knowledge. Uh, 
without any ego because he wants to see me succeed as an instructor and as a fighter. And the least that I can do is try to pass that knowledge on to the next generation and try to, to train as hard as I can and compete as best as I can uh, and represent him. Uh, and that, and that is a huge thing for an instructor, for an instructor is sacrifice. You know, you're the first one to the gym. You're the last one to leave. When people aren't around, you clean the gym. You, uh, you make sure everything is in order. You make sure that all the paperwork is done. You make sure that all the utilities are, are up to date. You make sure that there's gear coming in. You may, you know, you make sure that you have the, the best current, uh, techniques and concepts that you can right if anyone has an issue you're the one uh this is where extreme ownership comes into play if there's if there's an issue with a a certain student it's your it's your responsibility if there's an issue with hygiene it's your responsibility if there's an issue with the building it's your responsibility everything has to be your responsibility if you start if you start looking at it uh and and turning a blind eye to things and you know you make excuses or you or you you say that it's someone else's fault that is where you're you you're you're not qualified to be an instructor or coach um in terms of a competition uh being a coach at a competition you know you have to do everything that you can to make sure that your athlete is successful uh that involves you know giving the right advice at the right time I generally am pretty, you know, I, I've, I've had some cringe worthy moments when I was, when I first started coaching at tournaments, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Um, sometimes less is more when you're coaching mm-hmm. fight fighters, um, reminding them to do things like relaxing, breathing, right. Uh, and, and portraying information that is really important at that moment that can be, uh, easily, taken by the athlete and put into use without giving away any mm-hmm. obviously without giving any structure go go for the arm bar it's like the worst <laughs> like come on more like let's manage frames let's 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 maintain alignment let's mm-hmm. let's manage the distance okay let's break posture okay make sure you have live toes this is something that rob always yells at me right so so you have to be and and generally speaking when i'm coaching my students the main things i talk about are time and score those are kind of the main things that I talk about. Uh, and then everything else, you know, you want to be kind of frugal because if you give too much information, it can cloud their judgment. It can give the other athlete, you know, insight as to what we're trying to achieve here. So, um, or you can always adopt the hilarious strategy of instead of actually coaching your own person, just disparaging and yelling at the other guy the whole way through to try and get into his head. <laughs> yeah, or, or just storm off the mats when your athlete doesn't, yeah. doesn't do what you want. Um, there's actually a really great section in, in Rob's uh, online academy, bjjconcepts.net. There's a, there's a pedagogy section on coaches at tournaments and the advice that they give it's so just a little thing about rob's online academy i really recommend it to anyone because it's a it's a really interesting online academy it's again super conceptually based and has a ton of different information how to how to deal with kids in class you know all these things that not a lot of academies talk about and mm-hmm. i'd recommend that greatly but getting back to being an instructor like i said it's more about putting putting other people ahead of yourself and realizing that your role is to bring other people up, not necessarily, you know, getting your own best training in that moment. So it's it's a balance, especially when you want to be both a competitor and an instructor. I've always wondered how really high-level guys 
are are able to continue to train the way they need to train when they're also a, a head instructor at a school. Because this is something that I've, I've experienced myself, right? When I started teaching, the thing I didn't expect was how much that would actually take away from my own personal me time on the mats, right? I, mm-hmm. you know, it, it when you are the one teaching, like Matt said, you're accountable for everything that happens on the mat. You're accountable for making sure that the students understand what you said. Um, you're accountable for answering questions. You're accountable for ensuring that people are behaving safely and with respect. So while you're doing all of these things, everyone else is training and you're basically just kind of like standing there directing traffic and trying to impart some wisdom. And when that makes it really, really hard to actually develop your own game on the mats, right? You, it's kind of hard to do both at once. You know, if, if you get actually some, some quality sparring time in during a class that you're teaching, that's kind of rare sometimes and you should consider yourself lucky. And actually, maybe it's not even a good thing because maybe that time should actually be spent watching the class. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a tough one. Um, but that said though, one of the things you do realize when you're teaching is that you start to learn in a different way. You know, when you're, if you're a, a black belt or a brown belt and you're sparring with a, a white belt, right? You're, I, I mean, your ability to kind of like learn and, and really test things is kind of stilted because you're sparring with someone who's so much more junior than you. Um, and, and once you've also really started to kind of define a quality game, then, uh, you know, you're, it's not like you're going to be doing new and novel things every single time you train. Now, we talked earlier about how you, even a, a senior person can get quality training out of a junior person. And the way you do that is b- by building them up. And that's where the coaching comes in, right? Um, what One of the best things that you can do as a coach is build up the quality of those junior people at your school because eventually they will become some of your best and most reliable training partners, right? They also have the advantage of knowing your game inside and out, which means that they can really do a stress test against you that people who have never rolled with you, you know, will, would be able to do. It, it's a completely different experience. The other thing too is that for, you know, when you teach something, you have to think about it different from when you do it. I I find this happens to me all the time now, Matt, and it's kind of a, a bizarre and surreal thing where I can do a move and I know I can do the move. But I don't know if I can explain the move. And so when I'm teaching it, I have to really think. And while, while I'm thinking, sometimes new insights come to me. Or maybe, oh, yeah, or, or maybe the white belt will ask me a question and be like, well, yeah, that sounds great. But what if the other guy stands up? And then I have to think about it and think, well, that's a good point. What if, you know, yeah. you know, sometimes they can, they can poke holes in your ideas in ways that you're just not used to encountering. And so, um, it, even though teaching results in you possibly losing mat time, you get a lot of it, you get other things out of it, right? On one hand, you get to, you get the opportunity to build firsthand a qual, a a team of the best possible training partners for yourself. And you also get the opportunity to think really critically about things that you wouldn't think about normally. And that can really improve your knowledge. I mean, a, a perfect example that everyone can relate to, most people know how to, know how to touch type with a keyboard, right? You know how to type on a keyboard without actually looking at the keys. You could probably type for days and days and days, but how many people out there could close their eyes and from memory 
read from left to right, recite every the order of every single key, right? Probably not many people. You could. I, I, I don't think I could, right? Like just because you can, you've you've ingrained it into your muscle memory. When you ingrain something into your muscle memory and you can pull it off lightning fast, that's a different part of your brain that's taking action than mm-hmm. the logical thinking part of your brain. And sometimes teaching white belts and, and junior people forces you to pull that information back into the conscious part of your of your brain and reevaluate it. It's a really interesting way to kind of break your ideas and evaluate them in a different light yeah and that's that's a great point see that the mindset of a, of a coach and instructor doesn't have ego either uh, a great coach or instructor values and encourages dialogue between student and instructor just like you talked mm-hmm. about like poking holes in your ideas why would we do this why what if you know th- i mean there's a time and place for a student to ask what if, because sometimes we want to focus mm-hmm. on a certain scenario, but for a student to, to have questions and to, and to, and to poke holes in the instructor's ideas to get answers is, uh, a really beneficial thing. And if the mm-hmm. instructor doesn't want to hear these questions, again, we're shutting out ideas. We're not having an open discussion here, but if, if, if we can have the discussion, then yeah, it makes the, it makes the coach for a second think, oh yeah, like why would I do that? Or how would I do that? It makes, it tests them. And, uh, and all that happens is growth from that. So it's really important to, to have that sort of, I know, I know you call it what idea communism. Yeah. Which has nothing to do with actual communism. It's a, yeah. it's a term that I picked, <laughs> it's a term I picked up from the science community, but basically it means like free sharing of information without trying to keep secrets so so let's just call it idea capitalism Uh, (laughs) but um but yeah like having having open discussions and and you know the scientific method having students say well why would i do that right why or how would i do that what if the uh, my opponent does this these are actually good good discussions to have right and and um and important for you as an instructor to not have the ego where you're like hey i don't want to be questioned like Mm -hmm. i told you to do it this way this is how it's done well, as we all know, jiu-jitsu is a sport with unlimited factors that happen, right? So there's always going to be what-ifs and questions. Yeah, yeah. So, sounds good. Sounds good. Anything else you want to add on the coach and instructor front? No, that's pretty That's pretty good. Yeah, I think that was a, a good chat. So the, the next thing is something I can talk about, and that is the, the mindset of a hobbyist. Now, a, you know, what exactly a hobbyist is, I, I guess, varies from person to person. But I've always thought of this as just someone who trains for fun and doesn't have it does, doesn't compete really for whatever reason. Uh, that's always been me. I mean, I, you know, I, I've never competed. It just wasn't really something that appealed to me. It just wasn't an interest. Um, I got into jujitsu because I wanted, uh, you know, I wanted to do something for physical activity that wasn't completely mind numbing. Um, I wanted to learn a realistic self-defense art and that's, basically been the the main reason why I I got into this and kind of one of my main goals as I've trained over the years. When I started out, you know, at at some point back when I was a white belt, I was thinking about competing because everyone does at some point, but I kind of had, I wasn't sure how much of it was like me actually wanting to compete and how much of it was the enormous expectations of your gym that everyone should compete. And at some point I just kind of thought of like, you have to ask yourself what what you want out of everything that you do with the the minimal time that you have. And you have to, no one can go 100% on everything. Like there's some things in my life, especially regarding my, my work 
that I go 100% into. Uh, but there's other things where I, I get what I need out of them and they're, they're there and they serve a purpose. And I love jujitsu and I, I train a lot at it. But for me, the, the, the going, the kind of areas where I compete are not on the mat. They have more to do with my career. Um, that's the kind of, that's the domain that I find most interesting when it comes to that, that level of challenge. Uh, the thing about being a hobbyist is there is a tremendous amount of pressure in, in the jiu-jitsu community to compete, but really it's a personal decision and no one should make that decision but you. Um, you know, that, that being said though, the, the har- I, I can tell you this. I, and I'm still not sure over after all of these years what the true answer is. I don't know if the, really, if the reason I don't compete is because I just don't want to or if it's because it's, a, it's a discomfort. It's discomfort, right? Like, you, can can you ever really truly answer that question? Like, how much of the decision I made is based on the fact that I just don't want to do it, versus how much is just me subconsciously being afraid to challenge myself in that way? It's that. That's the one thing about never competing. The kind of that does hang in the back of your mind is you never you never really know what it what why you decided not to. Um, but that said, though, it's it's something that at this point I would just never do. Um, what I get out of jujitsu is. The, the, the areas I get the most enjoyment from are from teaching, um, just from kind of rolling casually with friends and from filling in holes in my knowledge. Uh, that kind of stuff, I, I think going beyond that, to, to actually be competitive at that kind of level would require a level of commitment that I just wouldn't be willing to make. And that's a, that's an honest discussion that everyone has to have with themselves. Um, one of the challenges that, that hobbyists often have in jiu-jitsu is they're often intimidated by people who are, you know, for the lack of a better term, like professionals, you know, people who either train full time and that's their job or they're MMA fighters or they're gym owners or whatever. A lot of hobbyists seem to have this mindset that you just can't hang with those guys when it comes to actual sparring. And, you know, as the saying goes, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. <laughs> you know, it, I, I can tell you it is absolutely possible for a hobbyist to hang with uh, someone who trains a lot harder than they do. It, it is completely possible it all comes down to how smart you train. Now, you know, if you, if you kind of like, you just roll on weekends, you're very, very unlikely to achieve like, you know, world champion status or anything or, or to be the kind of guys who, who would. But that said, you know, with the principles that we've talked about so far, you can get a lot out of your time on the mat, even if you can't put in as much time as everyone else. We talked in earlier episodes about how, you know, you, you don't want to try to win the battle by just like, only hard work alone because there's only so many hours in a day and you're not going to get to that top elite level just by throwing more hours at the problem. You need to be smarter about it. Um, we've er- we discussed earlier in other episodes techniques about how to learn rapidly, how to retain that knowledge and how to break plateaus. So I won't go into those here. But one thing that I do think everyone should at least be aware of is this concept of a growth mindset. So there, there was a really great book um, called Mind. I think it's called that Mindsets by Carol Dweck, and basically it's uh, kind of the results of a lot of research that she did. And really, what she says is that there's kind of two types of mindsets. You can either have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. A fixed mindset means that 
you you think of like yourself as a collection of these attributes that can just never change. Like you think, like for example, just like I'm just not athletic. Um, a growth mindset is where you think of yourself as a collection of attributes that you can work on and improve. So it would be so the, you know a, a fixed mindset person might say, hey, I'm just not athletic enough. I'm just too small. I'm just I just don't have the cardio. Whereas a growth mindset person would say something more along the lines of like, hey, I really need to work on my cardio. How do I improve that? And what she found is that people who have a growth mindset have dramatically better success in life. And this is universally true across the board. I mean, if if it doesn't matter whether you're talking about jujitsu or work or really any area of life, um, this kind of having a growth mindset is going to allow you to surpass obstacles much more easily than if you have a fixed mindset, right? And, and I can tell you that if you're a hobbyist and you spar with people and you immediately assign yourself the label of I'm a hobbyist and the other person a label of this person's a world champion you've already lost the battle because you've lost it at the mental level before you've even started mm-hmm. sparring but if you go in there and you see yourself as a collection of like you know attributes that you're working on improving and there's some things you want to get better at and you have measurable progress then there's really no difference between you and the other guy I mean they <laughs> they might have you know uh, higher attributes than you do in some ways but that doesn't mean you can't hang with them so and, and even if you do lose if you have a growth mindset you're more likely to turn that into a positive learning experience and probably more likely to be able to adapt. Exactly. So I, I highly recommend people look into this kind of research. It's really interesting and it's also very interesting for parents. Um, that's how that's how actually she did this study. She did it on kids and then kind of looked later in life to see how the success of these people fared uh, and what she found of course was that the people with growth mindsets were way more successful than the people with fixed mindsets. Another thing to think about especially when you're a hobbyist, um, but, but also just for any good training partner is an abundance mindset. And by this, I mean, understanding that, you know, it, it is not always the case that for you to get something, it has to mean that someone else has to lose something. The world is not always a zero-sum game, right? A person with an abundance mindset is constantly looking for ways to make everybody win. If you're going into training thinking that, you know, I have to get something and that I have to take it away from the other person. Like I'm going to get this win and that that's going to, you know, but, and that means that the other person is going to get this loss. That's not an abundance mindset. Your mentality should be that you want everybody to get something out of the experience. Um, this is important, not just for, you know, training partners, but for coaches as well. It's important if you're a hobbyist too, because a lot of the time you're coming at things from an experience, just an, uh, an experience disadvantage, just based on time on the mat alone, right? So you've got to have the mindset that, hey, I'm going to get something out of this experience. And so is the other guy. Doesn't matter who wins or loses. The goal is for everyone to come away from this getting something that they didn't have before. It should be a positive for everybody. And this is also important in the business world too, because some of the, the best solutions that get created are solutions where rather than trying to, you know, build a business on taking things away from other people, if you can build a business where everyone prospers, that's always preferable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we discussed in the last episode, um, you know, a, tr- a training room where people are picking each other up is much better than a training room where everyone's beating the crap out of each other. So as long as it's done in a constructive way and training partners are essentially uh, helping each other grow and like like we keep saying, teaching each other how to beat each other, mm-hmm. uh, showing each other tricks and how to, you know, I just caught you with this. So here's the defense that, to that, you know, now you can grow from that, which is going to in turn make me grow 
that's the kind of atmosphere that I like to have in the tra- in the in the practice room. I like to have I like to have scenarios where people are you know each other's best enemies and they're and they're they're foes, but at the same time they're great friends and making sure that uh, they're thinking about each other's growth, not just their own. Yeah. So Matt, tying into that as a gym owner, what to you makes the mindset of a great gym owner? Yeah, it's, I mean, and I guess now we're, we're transitioning from more of an instructor conversation to more of a a business person, right? Yeah. Business team building, that kind of thing. Business and team building. I mean, so my club's three years old now and um, some things that I think a gym owner needs to have again is the ability to, um, well, you got, I mean, one, one example is you got to know, uh, it's just like jujitsu. You got to find what works and follow what works. So, uh, if I'm going to spend a bunch of money on mar- different marketing plans and then one doesn't work, uh, I'm not going to keep pouring money into that. I need to, I need to think about my business and I need to be able to generate leads essentially. And, uh, what's really important is I don't want people in my gym that I need to hunt down to train for training. I don't want people that show up once a month and, you know, they're, they're very seldom seen in the gym. I want people that want to be there. And, uh, that, that's a, that's a very important thing because you can have, you know, if you do a marketing campaign that generates 20 leads, but only two of them are actual people that are going to train consistently, you know, that's, that's really not what we're looking for. We're looking for people that are quality leads and people that, uh, value jujitsu and keep coming back because they enjoy the training. And that can be challenging sometimes. You know, so, so identifying what your audience is, uh, you know, the type of people, what, what your gym is, right? You, you could be a competitive gym. Uh, you could also be more of a recreational gym, in which case you're not looking for fighters. You're not looking for high level people. You're looking for people that are essentially going to keep the room comfortable. I guess you could say, uh, I like to think as a gym owner that, um, I'm not putting money first. I'm sort of following the example of Professor Rob, who has taught me that, you know, if you cultivate quality and a high standard and you, you uh, keep the integrity of the art that, and, and you have passion and you nurture your students, that, uh, you're going to generate revenue as a byproduct of that rather than putting money first, where, which is going to lead to certain marketing tactics, uh, you know, certain, certain tactics in class that are, are in my view, questionable, such as, you know, promoting too fast to, to keep people motivated and things like that. Um, and you know, what's interesting is you're talking about how it's better to prioritize the effort over the results. Right? Exactly the what same I'm thing talking we keep about. Saying right, like it's it, by having if if you prioritize the the micro actions of creating like a quality atmosphere and quality training and doing that on a day by day basis, then the results are are you know they they yeah that's where you want to get, but they're not your focus. Eventually, though, if you do if you have a solid machine and you're you're building that quality environment, then hopefully those results will come. There's a much better approach then kind of hoping that, the, you know, focusing exclusively on the results and ignoring the process of building a quality facility. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I've seen it done a lot of different ways through my 10 years. Um, and, and I've, I'm, I'm actually very fortunate to see people do it the wrong way. And, uh, and I've learned a lot from them too, you know, uh, the wrong way would be having 
you know, tons of different affiliations and then you're never able to be there, right? Like if I, what's the use of being affiliated with 30 different gyms if I can't be there to actually teach? It's literally, it's worthless, right? For those people. And eventually what happens is they drop you because it's just not worth it for them to, to pay you and you're not there. Um, just to fly your flag or whatever. It's more important to have a situation where, you know, you're going to be able to make that investment as an instructor, as a coach, put time into them and, and, and see to it that they grow, that they're able to be, to, to become really competent martial artists. That's when, you know, you're starting to cultivate quality rather than trying to get the money first, right? We all want to make money as business people. That's kind of, you know, we have to make money, but uh, you can do it different ways. And putting the money first is not necessarily the best thing you want to do in terms of cultivating the quality and the excellence uh, of and the integrity of the art. I've always tried to, I've always tried to keep the the passion and the integrity of jujitsu and, you know, always try and teach the the most current event, current uh, trends and things in jujitsu, the things that people want to learn, and uh, and have a friendly, fun atmosphere where that where everyone is, you know, everyone is being good training partners and helping each other. That is where I think uh, where you're going to have a gym that has a lot more value and uh, a lot more of a sustainable product in the end. And the money will come eventually if you. If you do it, you just have to make sure that your your headspace is in the right way. Nice, nice. Well, that's a that's a pretty comprehensive discussion. I mean, we talked about the the mindsets of training partners, competitors, coaches, instructors, hobbyists, gym owners. Any closing thoughts, or did we put it all on the table? I mean, uh, you know, right now, I th- I, th- I think we put it all on the table. And if you guys have anything you'd like to add or or ask us about the about you know, these roles, please ask us because we'd love to discuss it in later episodes. Um, and, and yeah, just share our experiences with you. That was, I I think a really great conversation. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, in in these initial early episodes on the show, we're talking at a high level about pretty broad topics over the, the following episodes, as we, you know, get kind of into the deep waters, we're probably going to start doing really detailed in-depth discussions about specific things so if there's anything on your mind any topics that you would suggest or any questions you want us to cover please do let us know uh, reach out to us because that kind of feedback is what allows us to get better uh, that definitely is something that we would like to receive from you so please do let us know if, if you have any suggestions just to recap the mental models that we talked about today um, self-competition the principle of focusing on yourself and being better than who you were yesterday versus being better than everybody else uh, we talked about of course the golden rule the most famous of all mental models and, and very critical when you're dealing with training partners right you should always treat people the way that you want to be treated we talked about how um, it's important to to focus on discomfort and growing from discomfort. Matt mentioned that as a competitor, especially, it's important to seek out and put yourself in discomfort or in discomforting situations. We talked extensively about the importance of prioritizing effort over results. So rather than trophy hunting or or belt hunting or getting overly focused on the uh, on the goal, focus instead on the process of getting to that goal. Focus or money, on, yeah, yeah or, or money as a goal too, there. yeah. Uh, but focus on on the process. Focus on building solid habits and routines that will compound and, and deliver value to you over time. 
We talked about extreme ownership, the the principle that regardless of, you know, who's to blame or why something happened, you should take ownership of every aspect of your life because that's the only way you can create actionable solutions. We talked about keeping it playful. Basically, jujitsu should always be fun. If you want to do this over the long game, it has to be fun, regardless of how stressful it might be in the moment. We talked about Kaizen, uh, the process of continuous improvement, constantly measuring your performance and getting better whether you won or lost. We talked about, man, we talked about a lot of mental models this time. We talked about controlled breathing and staying loose, um, especially important to be mindful of these when you're in a stressful situation like competing. We talked about uh, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset uh, and and how if you feel that the attributes that define you are fluid and you can change them, you're going to have a lot more success than if you don't. And we talked about abundance mindsets, um, you know, trying to understand and creating situations where everybody wins. And your life is not just a ma- a whole battle of you taking away things from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a pretty thorough discussion. We do have one question that's related, and I think it's probably worth covering it. So, Matt, I think it's best that you answer this one. The, uh, the question is regarding mental preparation for competition. Things you do, things others do, and some some of the other things around being an active competitor. Yeah, so uh, we we did touch on this earlier in the episode, but a few things that I like to do for mental preparation is visualization. Um, And by visualization, I mean I'm literally visualizing myself in the bullpen. Uh, I'm I'm starting to get in the zone and, you know, I'm about to weigh in or maybe you've already weighed in. The butterflies are coming. Try and imagine that feeling of the butterflies coming, imagining the feeling of the nerves you know, where you, if you've competed, obviously you feel it. Sometimes it's, it, these feelings are so physical in nature that you do become exhausted just, uh, thinking about it. And then I imagine myself suppressing those nerves. I imagine myself taking the, the, the fear of losing, the fear of competition and turning it into something productive, like, uh, being swift, being, uh, making quick decisions, you know, sticking to the game plan. And by sticking to the game plan, I don't mean like, Okay, I'm going to pull Delaheva guard. I'm going to sweep. I'm going to arm bar or whatever. I mean, I'm going to stay in a good position. Uh, I'm going to play the, the clock. I'm going to play the points game. I'm going to get two points. Then I'm going to chill, right? I'm going to get my position. I, I'm not thinking about rushing and submitting the shit out of my partner. Uh, sorry, my opponent. Um, I'm thinking about the night before. Uh, you know, lying in bed and, and knowing that in a few hours I'm going to step out there and I'm going to fight. Um, I'm thinking about what am I going to eat the next morning? I know that, I know that after years of competing, one thing that's really helped me is, uh, is trying to eliminate things that make you comfortable. And, uh, Bibiano actually taught me a lot about this. Uh, one, one thing is, uh, if you have a giant breakfast the morning of the fight, you tend to lose that hunter mentality and you feel like, uh, you know, you don't need to go hunt anymore. You feel like you just want to lie down and, and have a nap. And if you, if you fill your stomach the, that morning, there's a good chance you're not going to be, uh, very explosive or, or, you know, need to think fast. Um, another thing out there, if anyone out there uses marijuana, uh, it, stuff like that really can, can make you want to 
make you like the way Bibiano says it. He's like, he's like, if you smoke weed, that we, the weed is your girlfriend. The, the girlfriend wants you to cuddle. The girlfriend wants you to be comfortable. The girlfriend doesn't want you to go train. Right. You got, he's like, he's like, that is, that's what makes you, you're no longer the hunter. If you do stuff like that, it could be alcohol. It could be partying. It could be, uh, you know, uh, skipping out on training or whatever. So you got to be able to look at your life and look at the, the weeks and months leading up to the competition and think, what is taking me out of that hunter mindset? You know, what, what are the things in my life that are, are making things too comfortable for me? Because right now the goal is to win the competition. It's, uh, there's going to be a time and place to celebrate after. And right now is a time to, to focus on getting, you know, getting, fo- uh, get, getting sharp and being the hunter. And if you have that mindset, that's going to help you make decisions quicker, right? That, that's how we're built. We're, we're built to, to, uh, to get that, to kill that saber tooth tiger and, and, and survive. And if we don't do that, we die, right? So, uh, really important to, to think about relaxing yourself, but being ready to go at any time and definitely taking the nerves. I always focus on what that feels like for me to, to, to be nervous. Um, because there's a difference between, uh, being nervous in everyday life and then being nervous, like you're stepping out on the mat. So when you step out on the mat, I find that I feel, I get so exhausted sometimes the adrenaline dump. It's, it's very difficult to navigate through the adrenaline dump on the mats. So that's something that you really have to visualize in your head, rehearse in your head, live it through, through before over and over and over. And then, you know, hopefully on game day, you can, you can, you can perform and, and adapt and make those decisions. Um, and then, you know, chances are you're going to have multiple matches. So you definitely want to make sure that you don't have a huge adrenaline dump after the first match, right? You got to want to have that second match. You got to, you got to look forward to the second match. You got to look forward to the fact that you're going to be uncomfortable. Your lungs are going to be burning. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be, you know, your, your forearms are going to be completely burnt out. Uh, these are things that you got to expect. You got to, you got to not, expect that it's going to be easy is you got to know that it's going to be a tough battle and uh you got to be ready for the next match reminds me of the mindfulness episode we did where we talked about how for a lot of these emotions and physical experiences you can't fight these things or prevent these things from happening you know a lot of people might want to prevent or, or fight negative feelings or emotions but really what all you can do is get comfortable with them and get comfortable with the fact that they're happening and be at peace with that, right? It sounds like that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, and 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 achieve that flow state that we're, we we sometimes discuss. Um, you know, you don't want to be <laughs> you don't want to be in the mud out there and and you're, you you can't you're just spinning tires. You want to get into a groove where you're able to make decisions quickly and you're able to uh your body is able to be responsive to your to your mind right and and this involves achieving the flow state and uh just taking it second by second rather than like okay i'm gonna get to my favorite guard i'm gonna get my sweep i'm gonna do this it's like well what if that goes wrong Mm -hmm. then your mind might not be in an in a state where you can adapt to something else so keeping an open mind staying adaptive and of course keeping your eyes on the clock and on the scoreboard is a a really important Mm -hmm. Uh, thing for an uh, for a competitor to think about what badass music do you listen to on your headphones when you're waiting for the match to start Uh, you know what actually i've i lately i don't even uh i don't even listen to music um 
If it's a political I, podcast, just I, shut up now. Don't even get into no, it. No, it's I, I don't listen to political podcasts. I do, I do, I do listen to some stuff. Although uh, I'm, I'm not really sure for this for the competition next weekend. I don't have anything in mind. I don't know what I'm going to listen to. I have a brand new phone and there's no music on it, so I don't know what I'm going to listen to. Maybe what you should do is just figure out who it is that you've got your match against and then just sit there and stare at them, just unblinking until the match <laughs> starts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's another thing. <laughs> if you're a competitor, uh, d- you know, again, mean mugging your opponent, um, you know, it's 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 just not really an effective way to to do to get inside there. I don't think because this is an intellectual game. It's not a, necessarily an aggressive game, uh, even though there is aggression out there. It's it's it's. It's more about what you know and how you can how you can handle stress on game day. So if someone is like mean mugging me, it's like, okay, well let's let's just see who's smarter then. You know, let's let's see who's mm-hmm. who's got whose number, right? Uh, in terms of pump up music, I don't know. I, honestly, I wish I had an answer for you. I wish I could say something <laughs> cool. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. Maybe I'll get maybe after this this weekend, I'll, I'll come up with something and I'll come back and, and say, <laughs> you know. Blondie or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Art of glass, baby. Yeah. We we at my gym we train extensively listening to the backstreet. Oh god, I'm not even joking. It was horrible today. We went there. <laughs> I go in there. They're listening to Bye 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 by NSYNC. I'm like, holy shit, this is okay. If you I can we'll train through this. that, you can train through anything, yeah. right? Like that is the ultimate yeah. test of the mental game. If you can listen to '90s era boy band music in the background <laughs> while you're training, there is nothing that can pull your attention off of the match. Yeah. <laughs> pretty awesome and 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 i've heard some people say that they they don't listen to music leading up to the match because um when they take their headphones off then the noises of the crowd can sometimes get to them it can be a, like a it can kind of disarm you because it's the first time you heard it that's right so i i i tend to usually not listen to i, I, I there's been several tournaments recently uh well not recently because i haven't competed in a few months but like uh, last year when i i brought headphones i was like hey these are for when i'm warming up and i just decided i didn't want to listen to music um and you chose instead to just stare awkwardly at your opponent for 10 minutes <laughs> unblinkingly right no 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 i <laughs> even if i am staring at someone i'm actually just visualizing in my head but uh but i there's something about the sound of the crowd and just sort of uh listening to the sounds of the tournament i used to want to shut it all out but it the more i compete it's weird the more i almost want to just like take it in and and Mm -hmm. uh and yeah sort of try to live in the moment rather than shelter Mm -hmm. myself well the the nice i mean this is like this is kind of like the foundation of mindfulness uh and, and a lot of meditation techniques right if you are living in the moment then you're not living in your mind which is one of the things they always teach you when they talk about like focusing on the breathing and stuff. The reason they t- tell you to do that when you're doing meditation is because if that's where you're putting your focus, then you're not living in your head anymore, right? And that's how you can kind of uh, get past those mental obstacles that get set up for you. Mm-hmm. That's probably a topic for another day, though. Thank you so much again, everyone, for listening. Please do write in with your feedback. Uh, and thank you, Matt. There were some awesome discussions here. I really appreciate uh, your your take on this, especially since so many of these things are relevant to your background specifically. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, keep the questions coming. And if you have anything to add on mindsets for any of the roles that we discuss, please, you know, just shoot us an email or whatever. And we'd love to discuss it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.